And after the sermon, we'll sing in response Psalm 92, stanzas 5, 6, and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the title of the sermon this afternoon is The Sabbath, A Taste of Heaven, question mark. I think that many of us have had the experience, either recently or when we were children, of wondering about the Sabbath, about the Lord's Day. And so often we talk as God's people about the Lord's Day as a day of restriction and limitation. And then there are discussions at young people's and Bible studies about what are you allowed to do and what shouldn't you do. This afternoon I want to go through some of the scriptural references to the Sabbath, to the Lord's Day, the day of rest, and hopefully get a scriptural picture which will obviously reflect the summary of the church in the Catechism in Lord's Day 38 as well. So we'll start at the beginning, where the Sabbath is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be going through the scriptures, through a lot of scriptures this afternoon, so if you're able, it would be helpful to keep your finger ready to look up the next scripture. In Genesis chapter 2, God has finished the heavens and the earth and all the host of them, and On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. There's the first occurrence of the verb that has to do with Sabbath. Literally, it says here that God Sabbathed on the seventh day from all the work that he has done. To Sabbath is to stop. It is to cease. It is to rest from Work, And we see it again in verse 3. God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he Sabbathed. He stopped. He was done from all his work that he had done in creation. This was the seventh day for God. Which day was it for man? Well, you know, children, that man was created on the sixth day, right? So man had a very busy day on his first day of existence. He had to name all the animals. He had to... Uh, figure out this new world in which he lived. He had to undergo surgery and uh, general anesthetic as his wife was built out of one of his ribs. And then he had to get married. It was a very busy day. And then the very next day, the Lord said, stop, Sabbath, cease, rest, enjoy. Enjoy all the things I've made. Enjoy all the gifts I give. Enjoy fellowship with me in my works and in my words. Is there lots to do? Oh, there's a lot to do. You have a world over which you need to have dominion. You need to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over everything. You need to build and create, and and basically what Adam and Eve were supposed to do is, is, together with their descendants, build out the garden and spread it all over the earth until finally we have that picture in Revelation of that, that garden city which fills the earth, and it's all done. All those precious stones and gold and silver and the tree of life. So there's lots to do. But God says, stop. There'll be time for that later. Your chief end is not your specific task in itself. 
Your chief end, your chief purpose. What is it? What is the chief end of men? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So on the very second day of man's existence, God says, stop, enjoy. Enjoy me in my words and my works. And we think of Psalm 128 where the the Bible says, you know who's blessed? The person is blessed who works hard and then eats of the fruit of his labor. There's that sacred rhythm that God put into the creation where we work and we enjoy, where we work and we rest, where we work and we stop working. Now see the grace in that first Sabbath that man had hardly gotten going. He'd hardly started. He'd only spent one day working. And then the Lord said, stop already. Let's enjoy this together. It's a day of communion. Let's enjoy the fruit of God's labor together, together with the labor that you've done for my glory under my blessing. So that's the first time we meet this concept of Sabbath in the scripture. We, we see it again a little later on in Genesis chapter 8. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, and here the scripture says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And of course, I think the children have already figured out uh, which word here is the word Sabbath. All of these things will not Sabbath. They will not stop. And a good thing too. The rhythms of creation, God says, the seasons, the day and night, that means the earth's rotating. That's not going to stop. That's not going to take a break. It's just going to keep going. It's not going to take a Sabbath. It's not going to take a Shabbat, as they say in Hebrew. And so there's the same word there, and we learn from that that there are certain things which just keep going all the time, because they need to. Imagine the Lord stopped the earth from rotating every week for one day, that that wouldn't work. And we turn to Exodus chapter 5 as we go through the scriptures. Exodus chapter 5 and verse 5. And in Exodus 5 verse 5, we read of the Pharaoh. He's very angry Because Moses and Aaron are coming and talking to him about going off to sacrifice in the wilderness. And Pharaoh has had enough. He says, listen, you're taking the people away from their work. See that in verse 4. Get back to your burdens. And then he says, behold, verse 5, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest. You make them Shabbat. You make them Sabbath. You make them cease. You make them stop from their burdens. What do we learn from this? We learn that the kingdom of darkness hates the Sabbath. The kingdom of darkness hates the Sabbath rest. The devil and his henchmen are slave drivers. What does the scripture say? There is no rest for the wicked. And they don't want anybody else to have rest either. There's nothing that bothers Pharaoh more than that somebody could stop their work and enjoy the fruit of their labor. Against all the built-in structures of creation, 
Pharaoh says, keep working, keep working, keep working until you drop. And so we learn that the kingdom of darkness hates God's good and holy Sabbath. Then we turn to Exodus chapter 16. And in Exodus 16, we're in the desert, and the people of Israel are getting manna, bread from heaven. And they've got to learn a lesson about what the Sabbath means. If you look in Exodus chapter 16, verse uh, 19, Moses says to them, you're going to go out, you're going to gather some manna, spread from heaven, take what you need. And then he says in verse 19, but don't leave any of it over. So here God is teaching them, you've got to You've got to ask God for your daily bread. You don't need to save it for tomorrow because the Lord's there. He's going to provide. Tomorrow there'll be more, but some of them don't listen. That's what we often do as sinners. We don't listen. And some of them kept it for tomorrow because maybe God won't come through. Maybe God will forget about us. Maybe God can't take care of us. And it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry. You got to gather it day by day. Well, then look what happens next in verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, because that's what they were told to do. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil. All that is left over, lay aside to keep till morning. You can keep it. So they laid it aside till morning, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. So Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So God, even when he sends bread from heaven, sends it in such a way that it respects that creational structure, that creational rhythm of work and rest. You don't need to go out on the seventh day. It's there. It's done. The work is done. Stop your work. Rest. Enjoy. Don't go rushing around trying to take care of things. I want you to to rest. But what happens on the verse 27? Some people don't get the memo. On the seventh day, some of the people went out together but found none. Well, we couldn't count on God the last time we disobeyed, so we better disobey again. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord is giving you the Sabbath. Therefore, the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So what does what this, what does the Holy Spirit teach us about the Sabbath in this chapter? Or well, amongst other things, he teaches us that the Sabbath day, the day of rest, is a day of trusting in the Lord's provision. God will provide. I don't need to work 24-7. God is my provider to keep Sabbath, to enjoy the day of rest which God gives to us, is an act, is a statement of faith. It is an act of worship. It is trust in the character and the word of God. And of course, these things are true for us today as well. And we turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Exodus 28, 20 verse 8. And we see here in the Ten Commandments, which we read every Sunday, remember the Sabbath day to keep it 
holy. Remember, this is not a new commandment. Moses is calling to mind, the Lord through Moses is calling to mind that this has been happening before in the history of God's people. In fact, it's been happening ever since the creation. Genesis chapter 2, this is something God built into the structure of creation, into the structure of time. So remember it. Something that you should know. Something that should have been practiced by God's people ever since Adam. Because, and there it is, right there in verse 11. Why should you keep Sabbath? Why should you rest? Why should you carve out a day to enjoy fellowship with God and his people? And to enjoy his good gifts? And to delight in his completed work? And to eat of the fruit of your labor? Why? Verse 11. Because God did the same thing. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God has established a holy pattern, a pattern of work and rest, a pattern of work and delight in the fruit of labor together with loved ones and the beloved. He has built in a rhythm in the structure of creation and created time, and that is something which every culture throughout history, has had to recognize, has had to learn, either the easy way or the hard way. You find the seven-day week throughout all of the ancient cultures. And as you look in history, and you see that certain cultures in certain times have attempted to move to a different rhythm. For instance, the communists trying to do a 10-day week that simply hasn't worked because it goes against the very structure of created reality. And then we move to Exodus chapter 23, verse 10. Exodus 23, 10, for six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest in life, fellow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you you shall do your work. But on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. So the weekly cycle is mirrored in a yearly cycle. And notice that God's concern is not just for human beings. God's concern is for the animals and for the servants And for the foreigners, the recent immigrants that haven't established themselves yet in the land, he wants them not to be exploited. He doesn't want them laboring away seven days a week to try and survive. God says, that's not going to happen. And you're not going to let that happen. You make sure that also the animals and then also the weak and the vulnerable have opportunity to rest and to cease from their labor. And to rejoice in my provision. Now, how did that work? That six days you shall sow your land, and, and the seventh year you shall just let it rest and, and lie fallow. That means they would they wouldn't uh, harvest, they wouldn't uh, plow, they wouldn't sow. They would just kind of snack as they needed to eat food. They'll go out into the fields and just grab stuff. And the poor and the foreigner could do the same thing. Now, I don't think there were any farmers in the congregation. 
So we're all a little bit at a loss as to exactly how that happens. But the Lord does tell us how he made provision for that in Leviticus 25.18. Leviticus 25.18, God's telling them, you better keep the rules that are made. Also the rules for the, this every seven-year Sabbath. And then look what he says in 25.18. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and, and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? Now check this out in, in verse 21. This is what God says. I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you'll be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. When God commands, he equips. When God commands, he gives us everything we need to obey. God says, you take a whole year off. You trust me, I'm going to take care of you. You know how I'm going to do that? In year number six, I'm going to give you enough food for year number six, for year number seven, and for year number eight, when you're sowing the seed again, so that in year number nine, you're harvesting crops again. So once again, Sabbath keeping is trusting that God is good, that God loves us, that God provides for us. And then we turn to Leviticus 26, 33. God knows the heart of sinful man. God knows that his people will be disobedient. And so God lists in Leviticus chapter 26 the punishments for disobedience. He says, if you're disobedient to me, I'm going to send you into exile. And when you're in exile, he says, look at verse 34. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbath when you were dwelling in it. God says, if you won't respect the creational rhythm in the weeks and in the years, which is also for the land, then I will make you respect the yearly Sabbaths. Part of the Sabbath rhythm is that we do not exploit people or animals or the land or the creation. God teaches his people to cultivate people, animals, and land in a godly way to produce fruit in a healthy way which pleases him. So these are concepts from the Old Testament which are still very, very relevant to us today as we do our work and as we employ people and as we deal with God's creation over which he has given us responsibility. Let me turn to Exodus 31, verse 12. Exodus 31, 12. We're just going to go back for a bit to Exodus 31, 12. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all. This is on the mountain. God just gave the Ten Commandments. And just before Moses comes down the mountain, God says, Moses, I want to draw your attention to number four. 
above all. The fourth commandment is one of the most despised commandments, not just in the world today, but even amongst the church of our times. But God says, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Why? For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And it's so serious that God says, you don't keep it, then you die. You shall keep the Sabbath, verse 14, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work in it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Verse 16, therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The Sabbath, says the Lord to Moses on the mountain, is a sign. It is a covenant sign, and that means it's something like a wedding ring. It it says something. It sets us apart. It says we belong to God. It is a mark of a relationship. It says that God loves us. It says that God takes care of us. It says that God provides for us. It says that God wants to spend time with us, and he wants us to spend time with him, special time relationship time. You know, think of a wife. A wife that says, oh, I, I love my husband so much. I, I want to make my home beautiful and, and comfortable for him. And I want to make, I want to bake and I want to cook and I want to just, just make the home just a wonderful place. Walk in the garden and do all kinds of awesome things. Imagine a wife so busy doing all these things for her husband that after a while she just gets caught up in these things as a thing in themselves. She never has time to sit down and have a conversation with her love. She says, my sweetheart, can, can we sit down and talk? I'm, I'm too busy. I've got to work in the garden because I'm, I'm growing things for you. I'm too busy cleaning the house. Well, you know that a relationship like that is not going to be healthy if there's no relationship time, if there's no communication and conversation. God says the Sabbath is a sign of our relationship. How you use your Sabbath is an indicator of what your relationship with God is and how it's going. And then look at verse 17, because there's something remarkable in verse 17. At the very end there, we read verse 17. At the very end it says, He made the heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. How's that work? God doesn't get tired. So we know that the, ver- the, the, the verb rested means he stopped, he ceased. It's not rested in the sense of tired, it's just sense, in the sense of stopping activity. But what about refresh? How, how, how can God be refreshed? Does God need refreshment? Well, the verb kind of means take a breath. It can mean to, to sigh or to just take a breath. Of course, God doesn't take a breather in the sense that we do, like we're working really hard and we have to take a breather. But what we have here is a sweet and beautiful picture, which God gives us in human language, that when he had made everything, and it was all good, 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 very good, he stopped, he he Sabbathed, he rested, he ceased. And then 
It's as if you just had this sigh of joy and delight and contentment. It's very, very human language that God uses here to describe the Lord's attitude towards the Sabbath day. This is not a sigh of tiredness or frustration. It's a sigh of enjoyment at a work well done. And that tells us a little bit more. If God delights so much in the Sabbath, how much more ought we not to delight in it? Then we turn to Exodus 34, 21. And in Exodus 34, 21, God teaches us a little bit more. He says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. So it's a very agricultural society. They say, Lord, there are some busy times of the year. Are you sure you want us to stop all year round, every week? And the Lord says, yep. Plowing time is busy. I know that. Stop. Trust me. Spend time with me. Spend time in praising me, worshiping me, in communion with me, glorying in my work and in my words. Even when it's plowing time, even when it's harvest time, even when it's busy, even when I have an exam tomorrow morning on Monday, doesn't change the fact that God says, stop. Don't be a slave to your work. Don't be a slave to your studies. Trust me. I will provide. When we keep working after God has said stop, then we're saying, God, you're not strong enough. You can't take care of me. You can't provide food for me. You can't help me pass this exam. You can't help me get the crops off the fields. I have to take control of my own life because you're a weak God. You give me all these commands, and it sounds all so nice, but it's not realistic because life is busy. And God says, don't be doing that. Keep my Sabbaths. And we get an extra picture in Leviticus 23.3. Leviticus 23.3. In Leviticus, we have a, a list of the feasts of the Lord. And the very first feast that is mentioned in that chapter, Leviticus 23, is the Sabbath. And we get an extra piece of information here about the character of the Sabbath. Uh, six days, he says, you shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. A holy convocation. This is very important. Sabbath was not a day, okay, I'm going to start start working. I'm just going to kick back and sit in my hammock and do nothing and just spend time on me. It's me time. No. God says the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. From the very beginning of time, the Sabbath is designed to be a time of meeting, of communion, of rejoicing together of God's people in the presence of their God. It's very important. Sometimes people say, well, I can enjoy a Sabbath just all by myself, kayaking out in a mountain lake and just enjoying being in God's creation and worshiping all by myself. And the Bible says, uh-uh. The Sabbath is a holy convocation. When God says, come into my presence, then we want to be listening. Now, people often get hung up on this whole seventh day and first day that in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was normally on the seventh day of the week, which is our Saturday. And, and in the New Testament, it's normally on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. 
And we get an interesting piece of information here in Leviticus 23 about the, which day of the week the Sabbath has to fall on. Normally it was the seventh day, Saturday. But look at verse 15. Verse 15 is speaking about uh, the, the, the Pentecost. It's not, uh, Pentecost is called Pentecost because it's, it's got the, word, the Greek word 50 in it. And you'll, you'll recognize it from the reading now in, in Leviticus 23:15. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days, that's where the 50 comes in, to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So you count seven weeks, you count 50 days, and then you go, that's, the, that's a Saturday, and then the next day, the day after, is a Sunday. And look at verse 21. What does God say about that Sunday, that first day of the week? And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So this was a special Sabbath, a special day of rest in the Old Testament. It comes one day after the weekly Sabbath, which is the Saturday. So that makes it a Sunday. So right here in the Old Testament, the day of Pentecost, which was a yearly festival, was a special Sabbath. And it fell on a Sunday. So there's nothing in itself about Sabbath which says it has to be on Saturday. It can be on the first day of the week as well. And we have an example right here in Leviticus 23. And then we turn to Numbers. Numbers chapter 15, verse 32. And we've, we've touched on it already when we read Exodus 31. So we won't spend too much time here. But in Numbers uh, 15, verse 32, the people of God apply the law that Moses heard from God on the mountain. Above all, keep my Sabbaths. If you don't keep my Sabbath, the penalty is death. A man is found gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. They put him into custody. And the Lord says, he shall be put to death as the Lord commanded Moses, why in the world would God kill someone for picking up sticks? Doesn't it seem a bit much, just picking up sticks? Well, one thing we have to understand is that it's hardly possible for us to be more righteous than God. So if God did this, did this it is just and it is perfect, even if we don't understand it. But God was very clear. The Sabbaths are a sign of the relationship that I have with you. The Sabbaths are a sign of the faith and the trust that you have in my provision. When you keep working, you're saying, I don't believe in God. I don't trust in God. My work will provide for me. I will provide for myself. My work is where I find my communion. My work is where I find my delight. I'm going to keep slaving and working. And if you tell me to stop and enjoy communion with me, well, God, I'm too busy. And so... It's a simple thing maybe in itself, picking up some sticks, but it is a denial of God, a denial of God's works, a denial of God's word, a denial of God's grace, a denial of God's relationship with us of love and provision. It is blasphemy. And so God judges it severely. When we get to Deuteronomy chapter 5, which we sometimes do read on Sunday mornings. That's the second time we have the Ten Commandments in the Scriptures. And you'll notice, you have noticed, I'm sure, that the Fourth Commandment has a, has a different explanation or reason for the day of rest. 
in Exodus 20, the reason is that God created the world in six days. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the reason is that God took them out of the land of slavery, the land of all work and no pleasure, no rest, no communion. That's very much what the commandments teach us as we look at Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. As we celebrate the fourth command and we celebrate the day of rest, we celebrate God's work, God's work of creation, God's work of redemption. That God has done it. And we stop and we just delight in it. We rejoice in it. We talk about it. We praise him for it. I mean, we sang Psalm 92. It's a psalm for the Sabbath. And it was just a psalm of praise. Lord, you're awesome. You're amazing. Look at the things you've done. I rejoice in your works. I rejoice in who you are. I rejoice in what you've done. The day of rejoicing. And in that sense, the Sabbath is a taste of heaven. God has done it all. And all we want to do is just delight in what he has done and who he is. God has done it all. There's nothing more for us to do except celebrate. And that's why the day is not a day for our pleasure. Because it is a taste of heaven, the Lord's day, the day of rest, the Sabbath, is not a day for us to say, oh, I couldn't fit this into my agenda, into my schedule for this week, but Sunday's coming, and then I can get a bunch of things done for me. God says no. And God says no in no uncertain terms. Turn to Isaiah 58, 13. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13. And in 58 of 13 of Isaiah, this is what the Lord says. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Quite obvious here, what God says is not suitable for the day of rest, for the Lord's day. Now, we don't have time, because there are a lot of texts to look at, so I'll just mention very quickly that in the time of Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, when they spend time together as God's people, they, they set up a pulpit, they, they read the word of God, they interpret it, they explain it, and they enjoy a wonderful Sabbath of communion together as God's people in his presence. Communion in the word, communion in the spirit. And God's word really convicts God's people on that day in Nehemiah chapter 8. They're coming back from the exile. They've got a lot of stuff they've got to figure out. But then the priests say to the people, don't weep because of your sin. This is a day of rejoicing. You hear the word. You need to rejoice in the word. And so eat and drink and send gifts to one another. Have fellowship, have communion, rejoice and delight in the good things of God. So in no way does the scripture teach us that the Sabbath is to be a very unpleasant, oppressive day where you're not allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do that. It's a day of celebration. We come to the New Testament, and suddenly there's a switch, isn't there? To the Sunday. Why, why, does it, why is there a switch from Saturday to Sunday? Well, 
very briefly, because there's more to celebrate. There's not just the creation and the redemption from Egypt to celebrate, but there is more to meet together for and to praise God for. There is creation, and there is redemption, and then there is the redemption. And when was the Lord Jesus done? On Saturday, the Old Testament Sabbath, he was still in the grave. Nothing to celebrate there for the Christian church. But on the Sunday, on the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day, he rose. And he declared victory. The greatest Christian holiday is the first day of the week. Because we celebrate the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And together with our Lord, we breathe a collective sigh of contentment. It is done. There is new life. And we see it. We don't have time to go to the text because our sermon time is running out. So I'll go very quickly through the rest of them. But in John chapter 20, when does the Lord Jesus appear to his disciples? On the first day of the week when the doors are locked for fear of the Jews. Thomas isn't with them. So Jesus has to come back. When does he come back? Eight days later. When is that? The next Sunday. Jesus appears to his disciples from Sunday to Sunday. Then there's Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit is poured upon the church on Pentecost. And we know, don't we, already from Leviticus 23 that Pentecost always fell on Sunday. It was a special Sabbath. And then in Acts chapter 20, we will go there because it's an important text. Acts 20 verse 7 Well, they're all important, of course, but this one is extra important. Acts 20, verse 7. Look at at verse 6. Paul comes to Troas, and, and he and his companions stay for seven days. That's one week, right? He stays in this town for one week. That's important. Seven days. Then on one of those days, he gets together with the church. He gets together with God's people. Which day? Look at verse 7. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. Break bread is the Lord's Supper. The day of worship for the New Testament church was not Saturday. It was Sunday. It's right here. He was there for a week. He waits till the Sunday to worship with God's people. It is the apostolic custom to meet on the Lord's Day. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, On the first day of the week... Collect money for the poor, for the saints, because that's the day of worship for the church. We get to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. John is on the island of Patmos in exile. And on the Lord's day, he is in the spirit. The day of the Lord. And the Lord, it means kirios. It means Jesus. Which is the day of Jesus? Is it the Saturday when he was dead in the ground? Or is it the Sunday when he rose from the dead and declared victory. And it is because of what Jesus has done, and because of the new and living way which he has opened for us behind the veil. He has opened for us, says the scripture, in opening a way, a new and living way, right into the throne room of heaven itself. That's what the the apostle writes in the letter to the Hebrews. And then turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. If Jesus has opened up this way back to God, and we can go into the very holy of holies in the temple, and we can worship in a way which the Old Testament church could only dream of, then, says the apostle, look at verse 25 of chapter 10 of Hebrews, 
Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's no question that in the New Testament, God's people are commanded and called to keep Sabbath, to meet together, to rejoice in and praise God for his marvelous works and his wonderful Word. And that's why we say in the catechism that the schools need to be maintained. You know why? Because if we don't have any schools, people can't read. And if people can't read, people can't access the Word of God in which the Lord Jesus Christ reveals Himself to us. If we don't have schools, then we can't have ministry of the gospel because we can't have preachers that read the Word and preach the Word. And so we need to maintain the most important function for human life. Is not the ability to, to make money for, for food and for drink. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. The most important function for human life is that men and women and boys and girls can have access to the revelation of God in Christ, which we read in the Holy Scripture. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Man needs the word and that's why to keep the fourth command and to be able to know the lord and to know why to praise him and what to praise him for we need to know how to read no one's reading then we stray in the darkness we starve and are deprived of life and so that's the first purpose of education it's the first purpose of our homes the first purpose of our schools to know god to know his creation, to know him in his word, to know him in Christ. And because of that, the fourth commandment instructs us that we need to be praying that God would raise up more men and women to be teachers in the schools because we need lots more teachers. Fourth commandment teaches us that we should need to be praying for the Lord to raise up more preachers because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And the fourth commandment teaches us that we need to be valuing our teachers and our preachers. Because it is through them that we have access to and knowledge of the revelation of God in Christ and thus are driven to worship. And how do we worship? Well, the psalm said it, didn't it? At dawn, I'm praising you. At night, I'm bringing sacrifices to you. The whole day is a holy day of worship and communion. Because it's a taste of the day which is coming. It's a taste of the day when he will say, I have made all things new. It's a taste of the day when he will say, stop, Shabbat, cease, rest. There is no more work to be done. It is finished. All that's left to do is just to delight to spend an eternity of praising God in Christ, for Christ. An eternity of celebration, of delighting in His finished work, of enjoying the fruits of Christ's labor, of delighting in His world and His creation and His gifts and His presence and His people and His love and His grace and His presence. An eternal feast world without end. Amen.